God's word. That's uh, way ahead. Here, I think I got it. Let's begin the. You got you have Ephesians up here too. Hold on a sec, I got it. Okay, here we go. Okay, this is the reading of God's word. It says this in uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-one: "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you." along with malice. Be kind-hearted to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ has forgiven you. This is uh, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, we again want to be a people that chase after you with everything that we have. We want to be a people that are free, and we realize that sometimes what can happen is we people can hurt us, and we can give in to malice and anger and clamor and slander. And we know that that kind of thing can break your heart. It can grieve your heart. And God, we, want, we don't want to be known as an angry people or a people of maliciousness or a people of slander. We want to be known as a tender-hearted people. People who are forgiven and free. People who forgive each other much, who, who, who do not... Uh, hold out on grace. So Holy Spirit, please convict us of whom we need to forgive. And this morning, help us understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in a remote, uh, in a remote village, a man came to the marketplace to sell a flock of quail. To keep control over them, he tied string to each of their legs and attached the other end to a ring that rotated around a stick planted in the ground. The quail were dofully walking around in the circle because really that's all that they could do. No one, though, was interested in buying them. Finally, a man came along who felt sorry for the quail and decided to buy them all. Then he told the, he told the seller to set them free. But when the strings were cut, to his dismay, the quail continued to walk around as if they were still tied to the stick. He shooed them away. Get out of here. Go. Just get out of here. Try to run over them like we do with geese. Sorry, that's, that's what I do. But although they flew away, they soon congregated again and kept walking around in a circle. There was no longer any string attached to them, or they were no longer attached to the stick, yet quail, the quail continued to march around as if there was. You know, when I read this passage of Scripture, there's something in my heart that goes, yes, I want to be that kind of person. I look at what it says about being kind-hearted and tender-hearted and willing to forgive as others, as Christ has forgiven me, right? And there's something inside of me that says, Yes, God, I want that. I want to be a tender-hearted person. How many of you would want to be known as a tender-hearted person? Hands up. Yes, of course. I think all of us at some level want to be that. We all want to be kind to each other. We all want to be known as a person that's kind and generous. And we all want to be the kind of people that are able to give forgiveness as freely as Jesus forgave us. Okay? But 
from time to time, what I've noticed is that our experience with Jesus is a lot like those quail. Like Jesus has come, and here, here's the analogy that I'm coming with right here. Jesus has come, and just like the birds, he has come and he set us free, and we are no longer tied to sin, we are no longer tied to anger or malice or unforgiveness or bitterness or any of that, but we walk around as if we are still bound. Okay? Do you know what a vice is? No. And so what, or let me go back. And so the question that I keep asking myself is this, is that if Jesus has set me free, why do I keep walking around as if I am still tied to those things of which Jesus set me free from? And what I've noticed is this, this verse right here, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slatter be put away from you along with all malice. Do you know what that is a list of? That's a list of vices. You know what a vice is? It's a habitual character defect. So in other words, when it's saying, uh, don't let any bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor or slander or malice in your heart, it's not pointing to those one-time kind of one-off, oh, I got bitter this one time and I'm usually not bitter, or I'm usually not angry and I just let it sit. No, what, these, what this is a list of is stuff that is a habitual character defect. In other words, you're walking around as if this is something normal and you are tied to it all the time. And even though Jesus has come and set you free from it, you're still walking around as if you're still tied to it. Maybe it's that you are still tied to bitterness, wrath, and anger, okay? which we talked about last week, if you remember. Or it could be that you're tied to clamor. Do you know what clamor is? Clamor is uh, it's something that's loud. Okay, And when it's used in this context, it's the person that raises his or her voice regularly, it's different than anger. And it's different than wrath. You can be angry and wrathful in a very nice person, can't you? We call this passive-aggressive anger, right? But this is clamor. This is the person that continually laugh, that's loud, that's yelling at the kids, per se, or yelling across your neighbor's fence, or yelling at your co-worker, or yelling at your spouse. I mean, there's always somebody that's yelling, you know, you're, you're cutting them off in traffic, and you yell at them, and all that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's more than you, it happened one time. It's, it's, it's something that someone used to describe you, that you're always in a state where you're yelling and screaming, okay? And even though you want to be free from it, and even though Christ has set you free from it, you feel like you're still bound to it. Or you could be bound to slander. Okay? You know what's amazing to me is how often the word slander comes up in the New Testament. And it's amazing how frequently we recognize this about ourselves, and even myself. You know, you, here's an example. You've got a co-worker, and you're talking with them about another worker. And you know, you, you're kind of sitting there on your break, and you're talking about them, and you're going, you know, they're lazy, or they seem never to do the job well enough, or maybe the relationships that they have, you know, they're awful, and 
you talk about them, and when you recount the conversation that you had, it's amazing how I always wind up being the triumphant one, right? Like the righteous one in the conversation. And how bad that other person looks, and you're making them out to look bad. And what's fascinating to me is when we do that, we really try to justify ourselves. We'll say something like, it's, it's, it's true, and it actually might be true. But the check that needs to come in our heart is, what are we trying to accomplish when we do that? And, the, and if your answer is, I really want that person to change their behavior, then you have to ask another question, which is, is the slander that I'm bringing to them going to accomplish it? That is, by talking to others and ratcheting it up, do you think that you will resolve matters in the way that you want? You see, the answer to that question is, you already know the answer to that question. You're blowing off steam and you're just trying to make someone else look good while someone else is looking bad. I've done it, I've fallen for it, and I'm sure you have too. That's what's called slander. And you know Jesus was slandered by his enemies of the cross. And so what winds up happening is Jesus has come and set you free, but you still can break free from the slander. Or you might actually struggle with malice. You know what malice is? Malice explains why you just don't like certain people. Okay? It is a deeply rooted thing in our hearts where we like some, we don't like anyone and we don't have a nat rational reason for it. We just simply don't like them. They rub us the wrong way and we can't figure it out. Like, maybe they look at us, maybe we don't like the way they look, or it's their personality style, or we don't like their history, or they remind us of someone else that has hurt us. And so they might not have done anything wrong per se, but they remind us of someone who's dead, so we prejudge them, or we, we are distant from them, and that is the idea of malice, okay? And you're bound to that. And you're walking around your life, and I'm walking around my life, as if we're still bound to these things, even though Jesus has set me free. That Jesus has come, and he's cut the rope, so to speak, from those things, and yet we walk around in a circle as if we're still tied. Okay. Now, going back to the bird analogy, why did those birds walk around in a circle? Well, you could say that they were trained to. You could say that they were not smart enough to figure out any other way. But the truth of the matter is, is whatever brain power they did have that God has given these quail... The truth is, is that they chose to. And I've found like a lot of people who, who, including myself, have found times where I've lived like that. A lot of Christ followers live like that. Where we have been set free from sin and our woundedness, and yet we still walk around as if we're tied to it. This morning, what I want to do is I, I, I want to speak to those of us who feel like we're still bound and we're walking around in a circle. From the perceived things and the, the like, we're still tied to it. And I just want to give you hope, and the hope is, is nothing really, really complicated. In fact, it's, it's rather simple 
in its, in its integrity and in, in its this. The key to walking around in freedom is that you have to be tender-hearted enough to forgive like Jesus. Let me say that again. If you want to experience the freedom that Jesus has already set you free for, then you and I must walk around with a tender-hearted heart, enough to forgive the people that have hurt us, in the same way that Jesus forgave you. That's what the next verse says. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as what? For, as Christ forgave you. You see, friends, here's my, here's my take on this. Is that everyone has usually two ways of dealing with pain caused by other people. It is either bitterness or freedom. Those are your options. You can either be bound by bitterness to all the people that have hurt you, or you can find freedom. You can choose to hold the people... You and I can choose not to forgive and be bound to, using, uh, be bound to bitterness, anger, clamor, and slander, and we will never break free for it. Or you and I can release our own pain through forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you. Okay. <clears throat> Which is very cool, and I really, really think that is amazing. You might understand, or you might, you might uh, come under the idea that Secular society, if you go to secular counselors, will tell you that there are some things that are so uh, erroneous or um, uh, so evil and so disgusting that you should not forgive them. That that's what the secular society and the professionals think. But the truth of the matter is, is that when you and I choose not to forgive, we bound ourselves up in a prison of our own choosing. It's not the people that have hurt us that are in prison necessarily. It's that it's you and I. We're walking around as if you are bound. Okay? Forgiveness is the key that will unlock the prison cell and lead to your freedom. Christ died to set you free. But if you're walking around as if you're still bound then could I suggest to you that the reason might be that you haven't or struggled to forgive as Jesus has. I'm not saying it necessarily is, I don't know the specific situation, but I'm just asking, could it be that the reason is, is because you're struggling to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. The only way to walk around in freedom that Christ has given you is to actually forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So the question then remains, how did Christ forgive us? Now for that, I'm going to turn to my favorite story and parable on this. and It, uh, it comes from Jesus, and Jesus is telling a story to illustrate the forgiveness that God has given us by telling us a story about how a servant owes his master quite a bit of money. And I want to, I want to just park on this for a little bit before we take communion. It says this. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 26. This is Jesus talking, and he says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, settle one of them brought, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay him back, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that they had until the payment, and, until the payment was made. So the servant fell down on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you back everything. Which, by the way, is not true. To kind of give you, to help understand the text here, there's no way in the world that this servant could pay him back. Even if he sold his family in a slavery, he was hopelessly unable to pay it back. 10,000 talents in our economy would be equivalent to around $10 million. And a $10 million debt without interest on a salary of, let's say, uh, $50,000 a year, before taxes and without paying for a mortgage, food, clothes, or anything else, would take you about 200 years to pay off. So that is just to understand how big this man's debt is. After tax, shelter, clothes, and food, it might be closer to, 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 to 300 years. Be, but he says this, be patient with me and I'll pay it back, which is actually impossible for him to do. The master knew this, and he was, and, but the servant was in serious denial. You and I are like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Is that we, you and I know the mistakes that we made, the blunders that we've done, and yet at some time, you know, we, we say, don't worry, Dad, I'll pay it back. You can never pay God back for what we've done. And so the master in the story knew this, and what do you think the master did? He said in verse 27, out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the what? The debt. So there's a lot I could talk about forgiveness of this, but for simplicity and time's sake, I'm just going to say this. Is that forgiveness is a debt that you do not repay. At least in the sense of the story. Forgiveness is a debt you don't pay back, and you see this in the story. It's the man could not pay the debt back. And so, instead of demanding that he was forgiven, or demanding the money back, or that his family be sold, he said, you don't owe me the money anymore. Now, here's what I want you to catch about this. In the story, someone paid the price for all that debt. Who do you think did it? Any answers? Master. Master paid the debt. Which is kind of ironic because it's the master who has been quote unquote sinned against in this story. Which leads me to this point is that when we talk about forgiveness, you and I need to understand something is that in true forgiveness requires and demands a payment. Someone has to pay in order to be forgiven. And usually, it's the innocent party who pays, so that the guilty party doesn't. And usually what winds up happening is that they pay twice. One is that they are hurt, the offense is done to them, and they have to live with the results of what you did against them. But the other thing too is they, they release you from what you owe. And so here's what I'm going to say, is that when you and I talk about forgiveness, 
the kind of forgiveness that comes from God. It's as if Jesus, or God himself, is saying to this, you don't owe me for your mistakes anymore. Okay? Because the truth of the matter is, is we could not pay back the Lord. Truly, for all our blunders are our mistakes. And if you're here today, and I just want to, I just want to do a quick tangent on this. And if you've, if you're here today, and you're feeling judged or ashamed, or you're trapped in something because of something that you've done or something that you're doing, I need to let you know something. You can find forgiveness right here. You don't have to feel misunderstood. You don't need to feel judged anymore. Jesus doesn't want you to walk around tied to your guilt and shame anymore. You don't need to walk around as if you are bound. That is the way that Christ has forgiven you. So going back to our text, when it says, listen, I need you to be tender-hearted enough to forgive as Christ has forgiven you, here's what I'm going to say. And you can wrestle with this and debate it if you want, but I'm going to argue that forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you means that you say that you don't owe me. Now, they might owe you. You might be well within your right to demand something. But forgiveness is saying to, you, to that person that has hurt you, because Christ has already paid the price for it, you do not owe me. Okay? It is saying, it is saying that you, it is, forgiveness is making a choice that you will bear the consequences of someone else's sin, knowing that Jesus already paid for it on the cross, and you relinquish your right to both seek revenge and blame them for your present circumstances. Okay? That's what you're giving up. Okay? They owe you nothing. That's how you walk around as if you're free. If you want to be free from the anger and the bitterness and the malice and the anger, all the slander, then you and I are going to have to come to the place where we freely forgive the way that Jesus has forgiven you. Okay? Why are you walking around as if you're still bound? I would argue this, is that God doesn't want, want you to pay him back for all the mistakes that you made, but he does want you to forgive others as he has forgiven me and you. And the reason that you are walking around feeling as if you're bound is that you still accept people to repay you. Or what I would maybe paraphrase and say is, you haven't forgiven them like Jesus has. You might say to me, why is it so hard to forgive others? Dan, I can't forgive others. You don't know what they've done for me. I won't forgive them. And listen, I, I, I don't want to make, I don't want to make a, I don't want to trivialize what happened to you. I just don't want to say, listen, like, they hurt you, just kind of get over it and deal with it kind of thing. I understand that there's hurt, and I understand that sometimes that there is a difference between someone who just needs to take a little longer time to process what's happened versus someone who outright refuses to forget. 
But I want to say to you that it is a command from God, so I know that it is possible. So why do you feel it's impossible? Let me just give a quick thought on this before we have communion. It comes from the rest of the text in Matthew 18. It says this, Matthew 18, verses 28 to 31. But, so the, the, the servant is forgiven his debt, and it tells us what happened right after he, he did that. It says that the same servant went out, and he found his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So, you know, maybe 200 bucks, let's say. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Pay me what you owe me. So you can just see this, you know, he's, he just came from the, from the master. He says, you owe me like $10 million. And he said, I, I'll pay it back. And he said, you can't pay me back. I'll forgive you the debt. And then the very first thing that he does is he walks right out, finds his fellow servant or his fellow friend, grabs him and throws him down the ground and chokes him and says, give me 200 bucks. Who does that? It is so out of character, isn't it? Have you... I know that we all know the story, but I think you need to stop and think about the story for a quick second. Because sometimes we're so familiar with the text that we easily gloss over something. If you can answer the question of why he did this, then you have the answer to the question why it's so hard to forgive. Okay? Because I don't, I don't understand. Like, I've read this over and over and over and over again, and I, I can't compete. I can't compute how someone who would forgive that much money would not extend the same grace to someone who is, I just can't. It doesn't make any sense. It's like when I read this, it's like, I, I'm, I'm like, is this the same servant? Is, like, is, is he that evil? Because even a person who is really, 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 really bad, you know, they, they've got to understand what exactly has happened to them. It, from a logical point of view, you think it makes sense, but this is not the same, it doesn't make any sense at all that he would treat him until you realize one thing. And that's this. Is that he's walking around as if he's still tied to the dead. I want you to think about this for a minute, right? In the story, what happens? The master forgives him, and we know that he's got a wife and children, so you know what I would be doing? I would be going home right after this and telling Liz and James, don't worry. You don't have to be sold as slaves for your dad's incompetence. Aren't you happy? Let's go out and celebrate. Let's go to eat something. Let's have, I'd be enjoying time with my family. But that's not what he does. He, the first thing he does is he goes and finds someone who owes him less money and violently attacks him until he pays and then throws him in jail. What kind of person does that? Somebody who still thinks that he has a debt to pay. He's the bird walking around, free from the debt, still tied to it. When you look at this, when you look at his actions like that, it makes sense. He's acting as if forgiveness isn't mean that his debt was canceled. He's acting as if the forgiveness was, I need more time to pay the master back. Because that's exactly what you would do if you if you felt like you were on a deadline paying back. And so here's what. I'm coming up with, and maybe you can understand. 
understand where I'm going from this. The reason that he acted that way to the servant was because he never really understood that he was forgiven. Or he did understand that he was forgiven, but he didn't accept his master's forgiveness. He was still trying to pay it back. And so because of that, because he never understood or accepted the fact that he was released from what he owed, he could never let go of what others owed him. And I want to say to you that it might be possible, or could it be, and you know, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I just, I just can throw in a question out there for you today. Could the reason be that you can't release others from what they owe you is because either you haven't fully accepted or you haven't fully understood the fact that you don't owe God for your blunders. You haven't received His forgiveness. You haven't accepted it as truth in your life. Why is it so hard to forgive others? Because I think you, you struggle with the idea of being, that you have been forgiven. It's just a thought. And just something that we don't understand. But I want you to understand how seriously God takes this. Matthew 18, verses 32 to 44 says this. Then the master summoned him. So the master heard how he treated the other, the other servant, and said, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all that debt back. When you and I don't forgive, it's a prison of our own choosing. And I think you and I need to understand just exactly how serious God takes our unforgiveness. You see, friends, when people, when I tell people that they need to forgive people, the very first thing is, says, Pastor Dan, you don't know what you've done to them. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they've hurt me. And in that moment, what I realized is, they have never understood the fact that they were, that at some point God felt the same way about you. Is that monster that you're making that person to be in your mind is actually at some level the way that God felt about you and I. It says this in Ephesians, while we were his enemies, he died for us and forgave us. So there is a point at which God was hurt just as much or more than you feel about that person. God takes a very grim view on it. I want you to listen to what Matthew says about it. He says, um, listen carefully to God's word on this. This is Jesus talking. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. That's a very serious statement, isn't it? But God made it, and my guess is that we need it. As long as we hold forgiveness, I think it's mainly because 
we've never really fully accepted the fact that we're forgiven, or we have never really understood that what forgiveness really means. And because of that, I think what winds up happening is that we are bound to anger, wrath, and bitterness. We are bound to slander and malice. And we're walking around as if we're still tied to those things when Jesus has set us free. So this morning, I want to give you hope. And the hope that I have is that you can find freedom and you can walk around in that freedom, but you're going to have to learn to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. When you do that, you will foster a tender heart, and we will be a people of grace. This morning, I'm, I'm going to ask the helpers to make their way forward to help me with communion. And uh, as they do, you'll notice that on your seat, there is a forgiveness card. On one side, ask a very simple question, or ask a very simple instruction, and that is to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you anybody who you need to forgive. The flip side of that card is to actually walk through a prayer of forgiveness. So my challenge to you is as we take communion, which is a remembrance that Christ has died for our sins, I would like you to take some time as the elements are being passed forward to just go and talk to God and say, God, I feel like I'm bound. I feel like I might be struggling with being anger, having anger or slander or bitterness. God, is it because there's anyone that I'm withholding forgiveness from? And I would like you to write that name down. Now, if, if you're nervous about the fact that you're writing around church, write a code name or Take it home after the service and spend some time between you and God working through it. But I want you to know that you don't have to walk around as if you're bound anymore. You can find freedom and healing. And you can have that. You can be that kind-hearted, tender-hearted person. If you are willing to learn how to forgive as Jesus forgave. So just a couple of... Uh, Instructions about communion. Number one, uh, we are going to take an offering out of the service at the end of the service. Second of all, I'd ask you to refrain from partaking in the elements until they've been all passed around. And thirdly, if you're new here and you're exploring Jesus, uh, Christianity for the first time, and you haven't come to a place in your life where you have been like, I'm, I'm sold on this or I believe in this, I'm just going to ask that you uh, allow the elements to pass you by. Let me pray for the bread and then we get started. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you died on the cross and you forgave us our sins. And we pray that as we, as we partake today, we would remember exactly what the bread and the juice represent. The cost of what it means, what it means to forgive and live it after Thank you.